Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing articles published in November 2023 issues. First, Annals of Surgery. Routine and ischemic hypothermic oxygenated machine perfusion in liver transplantation from donors after brain death, a randomized controlled trial. Objective. To assess whether end-ischemic hypothermic oxygenated machine perfusion, HOPE, is superior to static cold storage, SCS, in preserving livers procured from donors after brain death, DBD. Background. There is increasing evidence of the benefits of hope in liver transplantation, but predominantly in the setting of high-risk donors. Methods. In this randomized clinical trial, Livers procured from DBDs were randomly assigned to either end-ischemic dual hope for at least 2 hours or SCS, 1 to 3 allocation ratio. The model for early allograft function, MEAF, was the primary outcome measure. The secondary outcome measure was 90-day morbidity, clinical trials. Gov, NCT 04812054. Results. Of the 104 liver transplantations included in the study, 26 were assigned to HOPE and 78 to SCS. Mean MEF was 4.94 and 5.49 in the HOPE and SCS groups, P equals 0.24, respectively, with the corresponding rates of MEF greater than 8 of 3.8%, 1.26 and 15.4%, 12.78, P equals 0.18. Median comprehensive complication index was 20.9 after transplantations with HOPE and 21.8 after transplantations with SCS, P equals 0.19. Transaminase activity, bilirubin concentration, and international normalized ratio were similar in both groups. In the case of donor risk index greater than 1.70, HOPE was associated with significantly lower mean MEF, 4.92 versus 6.31. P equals 0.037, and lower median comprehensive complication index, 4.35 versus 22.6, P equals 0.050. No significant differences between HOPE and SCS were observed for lower donor risk index values. Conclusion Routine use of HOPE in DBD liver transplantations does not seem justified as the clinical benefits are limited to high-risk donors. Defatting of human livers during long-term ex situ normothermic perfusion, novel strategy to rescue discarded organs for transplantation. Objective. To develop a protocol for the defatting of steatotic liver grafts during long-term ex situ normothermic machine perfusion. Background. Despite the alarming increase in donor organ shortage, the highly prevalent fatty liver grafts are often discarded due to the risk of primary non-function. Effective strategies preventing such outcomes are currently lacking. An exciting new avenue is the introduction of ex situ normothermic machine perfusion, NMP, enabling a liver to remain fully functional for up to two weeks and providing a unique window of opportunity for defatting before transplantation. Methods Over a five-year period, 23 discarded liver grafts and 28 partial livers from our resection program were tested during ex situ normothermic machine perfusion. The steatosis degree was determined on serial biopsies by expert pathologists, and triglyceride contents were measured simultaneously. Results Of 51 liver grafts, 20 were steatotic, with up to 85% macrovesicular steatosis, and were perfused for up to 12 days. 10 livers displayed marked, 5 of which almost complete, loss of fat, while the other 10 did not respond to long-term perfusion. Successful defatting was related to prolonged perfusion, automated glucose control, circadian nutrition, and L-carnitine-slash-phenovibrate supplementation. Pseudopeliotic steatosis and the associated activation of cupifer slash stellate cells were unexpected processes that might contribute to defatting. 
synthetic and metabolic functions remain preserved for most grafts until perfusion ended. Conclusion Ex situ long-term perfusion effectively reduces steatosis while preserving organ viability and may in the future allow transplantation of primarily unusable high-risk grafts, significantly increasing the number of organs available for transplantation. Perfusate proteums provide biological insight into oxygenated versus standard hypothermic machine perfusion and kidney transplantation. Objective To provide mechanistic insight into key biological alterations in donation after circulatory death kidneys during continuous perfusion we performed mass spectrometry profiling of perfusate samples collected during a phase 3 randomized double-blind paired clinical trial of hypothermic machine perfusion with and without oxygen. Compare. Background. Despite the clinical benefits of novel perfusion technologies aiming to better preserve donor organs, biological processes that may be altered during perfusion have remained largely unexplored. The collection of serial perfusate samples during the COMPARE clinical trial provided a unique resource to study perfusate proteomic profiles, with a hypothesis that in-depth profiling may reveal biologically meaningful information on how donor kidneys benefit from this intervention. Methods. Multiplex liquid chromatography tandem mass spectrometry was used to obtain a proteome profile of 210 perfusate samples. Partial least squares discriminant analysis and multivariate analysis involving clinical and perfusion parameters were used to identify associations between profiles and clinical outcomes. Results Identification and quantitation of 1716 proteins indicated that proteins released during perfusion originate from the kidney tissue and blood with blood-based proteins being the majority. Data show that the overall hypothermic machine perfusion duration is associated with increasing levels of a subgroup of proteins. Notably, high-density lipoprotein and complement cascade proteins are associated with 12-month outcomes, and blood-derived proteins are enriched in the perfusate of kidneys that developed acute rejection. Conclusions Perfusate profiling by mass spectrometry was informative and revealed proteomic changes that are biologically meaningful and, in part, explain the clinical observations of the COMPARE trial. Impact of the surgical approach for neoadjuvantly treated gastroesophageal junction type 2 tumors, a multinational, high-volume center retrospective cohort analysis. Objective The aim of this study was to explore oncologic outcomes of transhiatal gastrectomy, THG, or transthoracic esophagectomy, TTE, for neoadjuvantly treated gastroesophageal junction, GEJ, Seward type 2 adenocarcinomas, a multinational, high-volume center cohort analysis was undertaken. Background Neoadjuvant radiochemotherapy or perioperative chemotherapy, CTX, followed by surgery is the standard therapy for locally advanced age. However, the optimal surgical approach for type 2 tumors remains unclear, as the decision is mainly based on individual experience and assessment of operative risk. Methods A retrospective analysis of five prospectively maintained databases was conducted. Between 2012 and 2021, 800 patients fulfilled inclusion criteria for type 2 tumors and neoadjuvant radiochemotherapy or CTX. The primary endpoint was median overall survival, MOS. Propensity score matching was performed to minimize selection bias. Results. Patients undergoing THG, N equals 163, 20.4%, had higher American Society of Anesthesiologists, ASA, classification and CT stage, P less than 0.001, then patients undergoing TTE, N equals 637, 79.6%. Neoadjuvant therapy was different as the THG group were mainly undergoing CTX, 87.1%, P less than 0.001. The TTE group showed higher tumor regression, P equals 0.009, lower it slash EPM categories, both P less than 0.001, higher nodal yield, P equals 0.009, and higher R0 resection rate, P equals 0.001. The most after TTE was longer, 78.0 versus 40.0 months, 
P equals 0.013. After propensity score matching a higher R0 resection rate, P equals 0.004, and most benefit after TTE remained, P equals 0.04. Subgroup analyses of patients without distant metastasis, P equals 0.037 and patients only after neoadjuvant chemotherapy, P equals 0.021, confirm the survival benefit of TTE. TTE was an independent predictor of longer survival. Conclusion Awaiting results of the randomized CARDIA trial, TTE should in high-volume centers be considered the preferred approach due to favorable oncologic outcomes. Neoadjuvant chemoradiotherapy versus chemotherapy for the treatment of locally advanced esophageal adenocarcinoma in the European Multicenter Insure Study. Objective This study aimed to compare clinicopathologic, oncologic, and health-related quality of life, HRQL, outcomes following neoadjuvant chemoradiation, NCRT, and chemotherapy, NCT, in the Insure International Multicenter Study. Background NCT and NCRT are the standards of care for locally advanced esophageal cancer, LAEC, treated with curative intent. However, no published randomized controlled trial to date has demonstrated the superiority of either approach. Methods Insure is an international multi-center study of consecutive patients undergoing surgery for LEAK, 2009-2015, across 20 high-volume centers, NCT 0346134. The primary outcome measure was overall survival, OS, secondary outcomes included histopathologic response, recurrence pattern, oncologic outcome, and HRQL in survivorship. Results A total of 2,211 patients were studied, 48% NCT, 52% NCRT. PCR was observed in 4.9% and 14.7%, P less than 0.001, with R0 in 78.2% and 94.2%, P less than 0.001, post-NCT and NCRT, respectively. Postoperative morbidity was equivalent, but in-hospital mortality was independently increased, hazard ratio, HR equals 2.73, 95% C, 1.43 to 5.21, P equals 0.002, following NCRT versus NCT. Probability of local recurrence was reduced, odds ratio equals 0.71, 95% C, 0.54 to 0.93, P equals 0.012, and distant recurrence free survival time reduced, HR equals 1.18, 95% C, 1.02 to 1.37, P equals 0.023, after NCRT versus NCT, with no difference in OS among all patients, HR equals 1.10, 95% C, 0.98 to 1.25, P equals 0.113. On subgroup analysis, patients who underwent R0 resection following NCT as compared with NCRT had improved OS, median, 60.7 months, 95% C, 49.5 to 71.8 versus 40.8 months, 95% C, 42.8 to 53.4. P less than 0.001. Conclusions In this European multicenter study, NCRT compared with NCT was associated with reduced probability of local recurrence but reduced distant recurrence free survival for patients with leak, without differences in OS. These data support tailored patient specific decision making in the overall approach to achieving optimum outcomes in leak. Discrepancy in Reporting of Perioperative Complications, a Retrospective Observational Study Objective To assess the discrepancy between perioperative complications, prospectively recorded during a cohort study versus retrospectively from health records. Background Perioperative adverse events are relevant for patient outcome, but incomplete reporting is common. Methods Two physicians independently recorded all intraoperative adverse events according to class intra and all postoperative complications according to the Clavin-Dindo classification based on all available health records. 
These retrospective assessments were compared with the number and severity of those prospectively assessed in the same patients during their inclusion in one center of a prospective multi-center cohort study. Results Interrater agreement between both physicians for retrospective recording was high, intraclass correlation coefficient, 0.89, 95% C, 0.86, 0.91, for intraoperative and 0.88, 95% C, 0.85, 0.90, for postoperative complications. In 320 patients, the incidence rate was higher retrospectively than prospectively for any intraoperative complication, incidence rate ratio, 1.79, 95% C, 1.50, 2.13, and for any postoperative complication, incidence rate ratio, 2.21, 95% C, 1.90, 2.56. In 71 patients, the severity of the most severe intraoperative complication was higher in the retrospective than in the prospective data collection, whereas in 69 the grading was lower. In 106 patients, the severity of the most severe postoperative complication was higher in the retrospective than in the prospective data collection, whereas in 19 the grading was lower. Conclusions there is a noticeable discrepancy in the number and severity of reported perioperative complications between these two data collection methods. On the basis of the double-blinded assessment of two independent raters, our study renders perspective underreporting more likely than retrospective overreporting. Identification of risk factors and phenotypes of surgical site infection in patients after abdominal surgery. Objectives We aim to determine the current incidence rate and risk factors for surgical site infection, SSI, after abdominal surgery in China and to further demonstrate the clinical features of patients with SSI. Background Contemporary epidemiology and clinical features of SSI after abdominal surgery remain poorly characterized. Methods a prospective multicenter cohort study was conducted from March 2021 to February 2022. The study included patients who underwent abdominal surgery at 42 hospitals in China. Multivariable logistic regression analysis was performed to identify risk factors for SSI. Latent class analysis, LCA, was used to explore the population characteristics of SSI. Results In total, 23,982 patients were included in the study, of whom 1.8% developed SSI. There was a higher SSI incidence in open surgery, 5.0%, than in laparoscopic or robotic surgeries, 0.9%. Multivariable logistic regression indicated that the independent risk factors for SSI after abdominal surgery were older age, chronic liver disease, mechanical bowel preparation, oral antibiotic bowel preparation colon or pancreas surgery, contaminated or dirty wounds, open surgery, and colostomy slash ileostomy. LCA revealed four subphenotypes in patients undergoing abdominal surgery. Types alpha and beta were mild subclasses with a lower SSI incidence, whereas types gamma and delta were the critical subgroups with a higher SSI incidence, but their clinical features were different. Conclusions LCA identified four subphenotypes in patients who underwent abdominal surgery. Types gamma and delta were critical subgroups with a higher SSI incidence. This phenotype classification can be used to predict SSI after abdominal surgery. Association between naloxone co-prescription mandates and postoperative outcomes. Introduction. The opioid epidemic is a public health issue in the United States. The objective of this study was to evaluate the association between naloxone co-prescription mandates and postoperative outcomes. Background. Data on naloxone co-prescription mandates show mixed evidence for fatal overdoses in the broader population. How these mandates have impacted surgical patients has not been fully explored. Methods Healthcare claims data were used to identify all patients undergoing one of 50 common procedures between January 1, 2004, and June 30, 2019, and categorized as high risk for opioid overdose. The primary outcomes were an emergency department visit or hospital admission within 30 postoperative days. To reduce confounding, 
The association between this outcome and the implementation of naloxone co-prescription mandates was estimated using a difference-in-differences approach. Results The study included 429,878 surgical patients with an average age of 54.8 years, SD equals 15.9 years, and with 257,728 females, 60.0%. There was no significant association between naloxone prescribing mandates and the primary outcomes. After adjustment for potential confounders, the incidence of hospital admission was 3.26% after implementation of a naloxone co-prescription mandate compared with 3.33% before, difference change, minus 0.08%, 95% C, minus 0.44% to 0.29%, P equals 0.68. The incidence of an emergency department visit was 7.06% after implementation of a naloxone co-prescription mandate compared with 7.73% before, difference, minus 0.67%, 95% C, minus 1.39% to 0.05%, P equals 0.07. These results were robust to a variety of sensitivity and subgroup analyzes. Conclusions Naloxone co-prescription mandates were not associated with a statistically or clinically significant change in emergency department visits or hospital admissions within 30 postoperative days. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Preconditioning program reduces the incidence of prolonged hospital stay after lung cancer surgery, results from the move for surgery randomized clinical trial. Background. Lung cancer resection is associated with high rates of prolonged hospital stay. It is presumed that preconditioning with aerobic exercise can shorten the postoperative duration of hospital stay, but this has not yet been demonstrated in trials after lung cancer surgery. The aim of this study was to perform a RCT to determine whether move for surgery, MFS, a home-based and wearable technology-enhanced preconditioning program before lung cancer surgery, is associated with a lower incidence of prolonged hospital stay when compared to usual preoperative care. Methods Patients undergoing lung resection for early-stage non-small cell lung cancer were enrolled before surgery into this blinded, single-site RCT and randomized to either the MFS or control group in a 1-1 ratio. Patients in the MFS group were given a wearable activity tracker and education about deep breathing exercises, nutrition, sleep hygiene, and smoking cessation. Participants were motivated slash encouraged to reach incrementally increasing fitness goals remotely. Patients in the control group received usual preoperative care. The primary outcome was the difference in proportion of patients with hospital stay lasting more than five days between the MFS and control groups. Results Of 117 patients screened, 102, 87.2%, were eligible, enrolled, and randomized, 51 per trial arm. The majority, 95 of 102, 93.1%, completed the trial. Mean SDH was 67.28.8 years and there were 55 women, 58%. Type of surgery and rates of thoracotomy were not different between arms. The proportion of patients with duration of hospital stay over 5 days was 3 of 45, 7%, in the MFS arm compared to 12 of 50, 24%, in the control arm, P equals 0.021. Conclusion MFS, a home-based and wearable technology-enhanced preconditioning program before lung cancer surgery, decreased the proportion of patients with a prolonged hospital stay. Surgical experience and identification of errors in laparoscopic cholecystectomy. Background Surgical errors are acts or emissions resulting in negative consequences and or increased operating time. This study describes surgeon-reported errors in laparoscopic cholecystectomy. Methods Interoperative videos were uploaded and annotated on Touch Surgery TM Enterprise. Participants evaluated videos for severity using a 10-point intraoperative cholecystitis grading score and errors using observational clinical human reliability assessment, which includes skill consequence, and mechanism classifications. Results 
Nine videos were assessed by eight participants, three junior, specialist trainee, SD, three to five, two senior trainees, SD six eight, and three consultants. Participants identified 550 errors. Positive relationships were seen between total operating time and error count, SAR 2 equals 0.284, P less than 0.001, intraoperative grade score and error count, SAR 2 equals 0.578, P equals 0.001, and intraoperative grade score and total operating time, SAR 2 equals 0.157, P less than 0.001. Error counts differed significantly across intraoperative phases, H6 equals 47.06, P less than 0.001, most frequently at dissection of the hepatocystic triangle, total 282, median 33.5, IQR 23.5 to 47.8, range 15 to 63, ligation slash division of cystic structures, total 124, median 13.5, IQR 1219.3, range 10 to 26, and gallbladder dissection, total 117, median 14.5, IQR 10.3 to 18.8, range 6 to 26. There were no significant differences in error counts between juniors, seniors, and consultants, H2 equals 0.03, P equals 0.987. Errors were classified differently. For dissection of the hepatocystic triangle, Thermal injuries, 50 in total, were frequently classified as executional, consequential errors. Trainees classified thermal injuries as step done with excessive force, speed, depth, distance, time or rotation, 29 out of 50, whereas consultants classified them as incorrect orientation, 6 out of 50. For ligation-slash-division of cystic structures, inappropriate clipping, 60 errors in total, procedural errors were reported by junior trainees, 6 out of 60, but not consultants. For gallbladder dissection, inappropriate dissection, 20 errors in total, was reported in incorrect planes by consultants and seniors, 6 out of 20, but not by juniors. Poor economy of movement, 11 errors in total, was reported more by consultants, 8 out of 11, than trainees, 3 out of 11. Conclusion This study suggests that surgical experience influences error interpretation, but the benefits for surgical training are currently unclear. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. Duplex Ultrasound Guided Angioplasty of Hemodialysis Vascular Access Objective Duplex Ultrasound Guided Angioplasty DA for hemodialysis vascular accesses remains questionable regarding its feasibility and safety. Minor complications, requiring no more treatment than nominal therapy, might be overreported. Our hypothesis is that this procedure has no significant differences between observed rates and the recommended threshold of main outcomes of the procedure defined by the standards of arteriovenous fistulas, AVF, angioplasty. Methods In a single-center retrospective study, 298 DA performed on 141 patients from 2015 to 2019 were analyzed. Occluded AVF or concomitant use of radiographic guidance were excluded. Duplex ultrasound parameters were collected up to one month before, at the end of angioplasty, and on day 30 after the procedure. Complications were registered, and patency rates were studied at 24 months of follow-up. Results Anatomical success was achieved in 142 procedures, 47.7%, clinical success in 284, 95.3%, and hemodynamic success in 283, 95.0%. Major complications, requiring at least a specific therapy, were reported in 8 procedures, 2.7%, and minor complications, requiring no adjunctive therapy, in 157, 52.7%. At 24 months, overall post-intervention primary patency was 34.0%, primary assisted patency 87.4%, and secondary patency 92.5%. There were no significant differences of patency rates between groups with or without minor complications, p-value for primary patency, 0.08, primary assisted patency, 0.08, secondary patency, 0.23, or 30% residual stenosis, 
p-value for primary patency, 0.82, primary assisted patency, 0.46, secondary patency, 0.63. Duplex parameters further improved at postoperative day 30 after angioplasty. Conclusions DA of AVF is feasible, safe, despite overreported minor complications having no impact on post-intervention patency rates, and efficient. A minor complication can be seen as an event without bad or good consequences. Anatomical definition of success does not fit on DA for hemodialysis vascular access. Further studies are required to define the duplex parameter threshold for efficacy. Next article is from Surgical Endoscopy. Endoscopic Therapies for Patients with Obesity, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis Background Obesity is a major threat to public health and traditional bariatric surgery continues to have low utilization. Endoscopic treatments for obesity have emerged that offer less risk, but questions remain regarding efficacy, durability, and safety. We compared the efficacy of endoscopic bariatric procedures as compared to other existing treatments. Methods A literature search of Invase, Cochrane Central, and PubMed was conducted from January 1, 2014 to December 7, 2021, including endoscopic bariatric therapies that were FDA or CE approved at the time of search to non-endoscopic treatments. 37 studies involving 15,639 patients were included. Primary outcomes included percent total body weight loss, percent TBWL, percent excess body weight loss, percent EBWL, and adverse events. Secondary outcomes included quality of life data and differences in hemoglobin A1C levels. Strength of clinical trial and observational data were graded according to the Cochrane methods. Results Intragastric balloons achieved greater percent TBWL with a range of 7.6 to 14.1% compared to 3.3 to 6.7% with lifestyle modification at 6 months, and 7.5 to 14.0% compared to 3.1 to 7.9%, respectively, at 12 months. When endoscopic sleeve gastroplasty, ESG, was compared to laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomy, LSG, ESG had less percent TBWL at 4.7 to 14.4% compared to 18.8 to 26.5% after LSG at 6 months, and 4.5 to 18.6% as compared to 28.4 to 29.3%, respectively, at 12 months. For the Aspiracist, there was greater percent TBWL with aspiration therapy compared to lifestyle modification at 12 months, 12.1 to 18.3% TBWL versus 3.5 to 5.9% TBWL, respectively. All endoscopic interventions had higher adverse events rates compared to lifestyle modification. Conclusion This review is the first to evaluate various endoscopic bariatric therapies using only RCTs and observational studies for evaluation of weight loss compared with conservative management, lifestyle modification, and bariatric surgery. Endoscopic therapies result in greater weight loss compared to lifestyle modification, but not as much as bariatric surgery. Endoscopic therapies may be beneficial as an alternative to bariatric surgery. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Association of Moderate Risk Breast Cancer Genes with Contralateral Prophylactic Mastectomy and Bilateral Disease Background The impact of ATM, CHECK2 and PALP2, the three most prevalent moderate risk breast cancer genes, on surgical decision-making is not well known. Methods Our retrospective study included patients with resectable non-metastatic breast cancer who underwent multi-gene panel testing between July 2014 and January 2020 with at least one genetic alteration, pathogenic or variant of uncertain significance, boost in ATM N equals 49, check N equals 57 or PALP2, N equals 27. Our objectives were to determine the rate of contralateral prophylactic mastectomy, CPM, and the rate of bilateral breast cancer. Univariable analyzes, UVA, and multivariable analyzes, MVA, 
were performed to identify factors associated with CPM and bilateral breast cancer. Results The rate of CPM was 39%, and equals 49,127, with 54%, and equals 2546, of patients with a pathogenic mutation and 30%, and equals 2481, of patients with a VUS choosing CPM. On MVA, premenopausal status, odds ratio, or, 3.46, and a pathogenic alteration, or 3.01, were associated with increased use of CPM. Bilateral disease was noted in 16%, and equals 22,138. Patients with pathogenic mutations had a 22%, and equals 1151, incidence of bilateral breast cancer, while patients with VUS had a 13%, and equals 1187, incidence, although this was not statistically significant on UVA or MVA. On MVA, premenopausal status was associated with a decreased risk of bilateral disease, or 0.33, p equals 0.022. During follow-up, a breast cancer event occurred in 16%, and equals 22,138. Conclusions Our study identified a high rate of CPM among those with ATM, CHEC2, and PALP2 alterations, including VUS. Further studies are needed to clarify reasons for CPM among patients with moderate risk alterations. Next article is from Obesity Surgery. Evidence of Bariatric Surgery Benefits Cardiac Function in Non-FEF Patients with Obesity, a Meta-Analysis. Background Slash Objective Nowadays, increasing clinical evidence on metabolic and weight loss effects of bariatric surgery on improving cardiac structure in obese patients, but its application in improving the cardiac function of HF, heart failure, patients remains controversial. The objective of this meta-analysis was to assess the effects of BS on cardiac function by quantifying the changes of ULF, left ventricular ejection fraction, and NIHA, New York Heart Association classification, after operations in non-PEF, heart failure and preserved ejection fraction patients. Methods Articles were searched using PubMed and Embase from inception to December 9, 2022, and the minor scale was used for quality assessments. The included patients should be non-FEF and clinically severely obese, and their preoperative and postoperative values of ULF or NIHA should be reported. Result Nine studies involving 146 patients were eventually included with a final result showing that the cardiac functional parameters were improved in non-FEF patients. After a weighted mean follow-up time of 15.8 months, the mean NIHA decreased by 0.59, I2 equals 0. 95% C0.27 0.92, P equals 0.003, and the mean of increased by 7.49%, I2 equals 0, 95% C minus 9.99 minus 4.99, P less than 0.00001. Conclusion Bariatric surgery offers beneficial cardiac effects on non-FEF patients with obesity but failed to show a significant improvement in the pooled analysis for the changes of cardiac parameters. The improving degree may be related to the baseline BMI, the extent of BMI loss, and the baseline age. Future studies should focus on finding out the influencing factors of effectivenesses and defining the suitable crowd. Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Low interior resection syndrome in a reference North American sample, prevalence and associated factors. Background. Low interior resection syndrome, LARS, is a well-described consequence of rectal cancer treatment. Studying the degree to which bowel dysfunction exists in the general population may help to better interpret to what extent LARS is related to disease and or cancer treatment. Currently, North American LARS normative data are lacking. The aim of this study was to describe the prevalence of bowel dysfunction, as measured by the LARS score and quality of life, call, in a reference North American sample. Quality of life was measured and associations between participant characteristics and LARS were identified. Study design. 
This was a single-institution cross-sectional study of asymptomatic adults who underwent screening and surveillance colonoscopies from 2018 to 2021 with no-slash-benign endoscopic findings. Survey was conducted on select comorbidities, sociodemographic factors, LARS and CAL. Outcomes were LARS and CAL. Multivariable linear regression accounting for a priori clinical factors associated with bowel dysfunction was performed. Results Of 1,004 subjects approached, 502, 50.0%, participated, and 135, 26.9%, participants had major-slash-minor LARS. On multiple linear regression, female sex, beta equals 2.15, 95% C0.30 to 4.00, younger age, beta equals minus 95% C-0.18 to minus 0.03, white ethnicity, beta equals 2.45, 95% C0.15 to 4.74, and the presence of at least one of the following factors, diabetes, depression, neurologic disorder, or cholecystectomy, beta equals 3.54, 95% C1.57 to 5.51, were independently associated with a higher LARS score. Individuals with LARS had lower global call, functional subscales, and various symptom subscale scores. Conclusions Our study identified the baseline prevalence of LARS in asymptomatic adults who have not undergone a low interior resection. These normative data will allow for more accurate interpretation of ongoing studies on LARS in North American rectal cancer patients. Diverticulitis Familiality, a statewide case control study. Background The etiology of diverticulitis is multifactorial and poorly understood. We estimated the familiality of diverticulitis using the Utah Population Database, a statewide database linking medical records with genealogy data. Study Design We identified patients with diverticulitis diagnosed between 1998 and 2018 in age and sex match controls in the Utah Population Database. Risk of diverticulitis in family members of patients and controls was calculated using multivariable Poisson models. We performed exploratory analyses to determine the association of familial diverticulitis with severity of disease and age of onset. Results The study population included 9,563 diverticulitis patients, with 229,647 relatives, and 10,588 controls, with 265,693 relatives. Relatives of patients were more likely to develop diverticulitis, incidence rate ratio, IRR, 1.5, 95% C1.4 to 1.6, compared with relatives of controls. There was an elevated risk of diverticulitis among first degree, IRR 2.6, 95% C2.3 to 3.0, second degree, IRR 1.5, 95% C1.3 to 1.6, and third degree relatives of patients, IRR 1.3, 95% C1.2 to 1.4. Complicated diverticulitis was more common among relatives of patients compared with relatives of controls, IRR 1.6. 95% C1.4 to 1.8. Age at diverticulitis diagnosis was similar between groups, relatives of patients 0.2 years older than relatives of controls, 95% C-0.5 to 0.9. Conclusions Our results indicate that the first, second, and third-degree relatives of diverticulitis patients are at elevated risk of developing diverticulitis. This information may aid surgeons in counseling patients and family members about diverticulitis risk and can inform the development of future risk stratification tools. Further work is needed to clarify the causal role and relative contribution of various genetic, lifestyle, and environmental factors in the development of diverticulitis. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Epidemiology and Outcomes of Traumatic Vascular Injury Repair by Trauma Surgeons and Vascular Surgeons in a Collaborative Model. Background Management Roles for Peripheral Vascular Injuries, 
PVI, are a source of ongoing debate given the concern for the loss of vascular skills among general surgeons and trauma surgeons, TS. We sought to analyze outcomes of PVI managed by TSs or vascular surgeons, VSs. Methods This is a retrospective study of a single, level I trauma center. Trauma patients with PVI who underwent repair from 2010 to 2021 were included. Patients were separated into groups by the surgical specialty, TS or versus, undertaking the first intervention of the injured vessel. Results A total of 194 patients were included, with 101, 52%, PVI managed by TS and 93, 48%, by versus the TS group had more penetrating injuries, 84% versus 63%, P less than 0.01, were more often hypotensive, 17% versus 6%, P equals 0.01, and had a higher median injury severity score, 10 versus 9, P less than 0.001. Time from arrival to operating room was lower in the TS group, 77 versus 257 minutes, P less than 0.01, with no difference in rates of preoperative imaging. The TS group performed damage control surgery, DCS, more frequently, 21% versus 1.1%, P less than 0.01. There was no difference in reintervention rates between the two groups after excluding patients that required reintervention for definitive repair after DCS, 13% versus 9%, P equals 0.34. Mortality was 8% in the TS group and 1% in the versus group, P equals 0.02, with no deaths related to the PVI repair in either group. There was no difference in PVI repair complication rates between the two groups, 18% versus 13%, P equals 0.36. Conclusion In our collaborative model at a high-volume trauma center, a wide variety of PVI are surgically managed by TS with versus immediately available for consultation or for definitive repair of more complex vascular injuries. Trauma surgeons performed more DCS on higher acuity patients. No difference in vascular-related complications was detected between groups. Finding the Bleeding Edge, 24-Hour Mortality by Unit of Blood Product Transfused in Combat Casualties from 2002 to 2020 Background Transfusion studies in civilian trauma patients have tried to identify a general futility threshold. We hypothesize that in combat settings there is no general threshold where blood product transfusion becomes unbeneficial to survival in hemorrhaging patients. We sought to assess the relationship between the number of units of blood products transfused and 24-hour mortality in combat casualties. Methods a retrospective analysis of the Department of Defense Trauma Registry supplemented with data from the Armed Forces Medical Examiner. Combat casualties who received at least one unit of blood product at U.S. Military Medical Treatment Facilities, MTFs, in combat settings, 2002-2020, were included. The main intervention was the total units of any blood product transfused, which was measured from the point of injury until 24 hours after admission from the first deployed MTF. The primary outcome was discharge status, alive, dead, at 24 hours from time of injury. Results Of 11,746 patients included, the median age was 24 years, and most patients were male, 94.2%, with penetrating injury, 84.7%. The median injury severity score was 17 and 783, 6.7%, patients died by 24 hours. Median units of blood products transfused was 8. Most blood products transfused were red blood cells, 50.2%, followed by plasma, 41.1%, platelets, 5.5%, and whole blood, 3.2%. Among the 10 patients who received the most units of blood product, 164 units to 290 units, 7 survived to 24 hours. The maximum amount of total blood products transfused to a patient who survived was 276 units. Of the 58 patients who received over 100 units of blood product, 20.7% died by 24 hours. Conclusion While civilian trauma studies suggest the possibility of futility with ultra-massive transfusion, we report that the majority, 79.3%, 
of combat casualties who received transfusions greater than 100 units survived to 24 hours. These results do not support a threshold for futility of blood product transfusion. Further analysis as to predictors for mortality will help in situations of blood product and resource constraints. Finding the Bleeding Edge 24-Hour Mortality by Unit of Blood Product Transfused in Combat Casualties from 2002 to 2020 Background Transfusion studies in civilian trauma patients have tried to identify a general futility threshold. We hypothesize that in combat settings there is no general threshold where blood product transfusion becomes unbeneficial to survival in hemorrhaging patients. We sought to assess the relationship between the number of units of blood products transfused and 24-hour mortality in combat casualties. Methods A retrospective analysis of the Department of Defense Trauma Registry supplemented with data from the Armed Forces Medical Examiner. Combat casualties who received at least one unit of blood product at U.S. Military Medical Treatment Facilities, MTFs, in combat settings, 2002-2020, were included. The main intervention was the total units of any blood product transfused, which was measured from the point of injury until 24 hours after admission from the first deployed MTF. The primary outcome was discharge status, alive, dead, at 24 hours from time of injury. Results Of 11,746 patients included, the median age was 24 years, and most patients were male, 94.2%, with penetrating injury. 84.7%. The median injury severity score was 17 in 783, 6.7%. Patients died by 24 hours. Median units of blood products transfused was 8. Most blood products transfused were red blood cells, 50.2%, followed by plasma, 41.1%, platelets, 5.5%, and whole blood, 3.2%. Among the 10 patients who received the most units of blood product, 164 units to 290 units, 7 survived to 24 hours. The maximum amount of total blood products transfused to a patient who survived was 276 units. Of the 58 patients who received over 100 units of blood product, 20.7% died by 24 hours. Conclusion While civilian trauma studies suggest the possibility of futility with ultra-massive transfusion, We report that the majority, 79.3%, of combat casualties who received transfusions greater than 100 units survived to 24 hours. These results do not support a threshold for futility of blood product transfusion. Further analysis as to predictors for mortality will help in situations of blood product and resource constraints. Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. Routine Postoperative Labs and Healthcare System Burden in Acute Appendicitis Background Data from the National Health Expenditure Accounts have shown a steady increase in healthcare costs paralleled by availability of laboratory tests. Resource utilization is a top priority for reducing healthcare costs. We hypothesize that routine postoperative laboratory utilization unnecessarily increases costs and healthcare system burden in acute appendicitis, AA, management. Methods A retrospective cohort of patients with uncomplicated AA 2016-2020 were identified. Clinical variables, demographics, lab usage, interventions, and costs were collected. Results A total of 3,711 patients with uncomplicated AA were identified. Total costs of labs, $289,505.99.56% and repletions, $1,287.63, 0.44%, were $290,792.63. Increased loss was associated with lab utilization in multivariable modeling, increasing costs by $837,602 or 472.12 per patient. Conclusions In our patient population, postoperative labs resulted in increased costs without discernible impact on clinical course. 
Routine postoperative laboratory testing should be re-evaluated in patients with minimal comorbidities as this likely increases cost without adding value. Operative success is achieved regardless of IAPTH criterion used during focused parathyroidectomy for sporadic primary hyperparathyroidism. Background Focused parathyroidectomy, FPTX, guided by intraoperative parathormone, IAPTH, monitoring may result in higher operative failure rates from missed multiglandular disease, MGD, in patients with sporadic primary hyperparathyroidism, SPHPT, when IAPTH levels do not reach normal range. Methods A retrospective review included 690 patients with SPHPT who underwent FPTX and IAPTH monitoring were divided into two groups, greater than 50% IAPTH decreased to normal range, and greater than 50% IAPTH decreased to above normal range. Operative success, recurrence, bilateral-slash-unilateral neck exploration, BNE-slash-UM-MGD were evaluated. Results 533 patients demonstrated more than 50% IAPTH decrease to normal range, and 157 patients greater than 50% IAPTH decrease to above normal range. There were no differences in operative success 99% versus 97%, recurrence 2.5% versus 5%, BNE 12% versus 11%, UN 4% versus 5%, or MGD 4% versus 4%, P greater than 0.05 with 46 months mean follow-up. Conclusions There were no differences in operative success, failure, BNE, UN or MGD regardless of IAPTH criterion used for FPTX. <music> Thresholds for surgical referral in primary hyperparathyroidism, a conjoined analysis. Background Primary hyperparathyroidism, PHPT, can be cured through surgery, but referral for treatment is often provider-dependent. A conjoined analysis was performed to identify factors influencing referral for surgery. Methods Online survey assessed endocrinologists and other physicians who reviewed 10 patient scenarios. They decided whether to refer for surgery or medical management based on clinical, age, comorbidities, etc., and biochemical factors, mild or classic disease. Results. Classic PHPT, age below 50, absence of comorbidities, presence of osteoporosis, and seeing a surgical provider significantly increased the likelihood of surgery referral, P less than 0.001. Physician characteristics such as gender, practice duration, and setting did not have a significant influence. Conclusion. Despite published benefits of surgery, Non-surgical physicians were less likely to refer PHPT patients for surgical treatment if patients were older, age greater than or equal to 50, had comorbid conditions, or had mild disease. More education and advocacy are needed for improved access to surgery. Next article is from World Journal of Surgery. Arrhythmias in Critically Ill Surgical and Non-Surgical Patients, a National Propensity Match Study Background Arrhythmias are common in critically ill patients, though the impact of arrhythmias on surgical patients is not well delineated. We aim to characterize mortality following arrhythmias in critically ill patients. Methods We performed a propensity match retrospective analysis of intensive care unit, ICU, patients from 2007 to 2017 in the Cerner Acute Physiology and Chronic Health Evaluation Database. We compared outcomes between patients with and without arrhythmias and those with and without surgical indications for ICU admission. We also modeled predictors of arrhythmias in surgical patients. Results 467,951 patients were included, 97,958, 20.9%, were surgical patients. Arrhythmias occurred in 1.4% of the study cohorts. Predictors of arrhythmias in surgical patients included a history of cardiovascular disease, odds ratio, or 1.35, 95% confidence interval, CI95, 1.11 to 
respiratory failure, or 1.48, CI 95 1.12-1.96, pneumonia, or 3.17, CI 95 1.98-5.10, higher bicarbonate level, or 1.03, CI 95 1.01-1.05, lower albumin level, or 0.79, CI 95 0.68-0.91, and vasopressor requirement, or 27.2, CI 95 22.0 to 33.7. After propensity matching, surgical patients with arrhythmias had a 42% mortality risk reduction compared to non-surgical patients, risk ratio RR 0.58, C95 0.43 to 0.79. Predicted probabilities of mortality for surgical patients were lower at all ages. Conclusions Surgical patients with arrhythmias are at lower risk of mortality than non-surgical patients. In this propensity-matched analysis, predictors of arrhythmias in critically ill surgical patients included a history of cardiovascular disease, respiratory complications, increased bicarbonate levels, decreased albumin levels, and vasopressor requirement. These findings highlight the differential effect of arrhythmias on different cohorts of critically ill populations. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.